Shape Moda designs women's trousers to suit everybody's shape to get the perfect fit. Just imagine that as soon as you wear a pair of trousers, they feel like the best piece of clothing ever. Dress for your body shape with Shape Moda and make a huge change in your life now. Go to shapemoda.com and find out which body shape you have. Shape Moda gives you the perfect fit. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and it's great to be back. I was in Orlando, Florida for the holiday of a lifetime. Did Universal Studios, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Magic Kingdom, uh, Hollywood Studios, SeaWorld, all that amazing Disney theme park stuff. And I thought it was going to be a holiday for my children and I was being a really selfless parent. But in fact, it turned out to be probably the most enjoyable holiday I've ever been on, even though I've never walked or queued so much in my life before. And I really, really hate both walking and queuing. But that's the magic of these amazing theme parks. And I think being in Florida in the sunshine and the palm trees, and I think just especially after the last couple of years, and just to say um, it was an expensive holiday. It took us a year or so to save up for it but I have to say it was totally worth it and I want to give a shout out to Tour America because I think when you're planning a big holiday like that it's great to have a travel agent who is just really nice and makes the planning of it all very enjoyable as well. Uh, I'm going to be living off the memories of this holiday for a while and I think the pandemic has definitely made some of us sort of focused our minds about the kinds of dream holidays we'd like to do if we're lucky enough to be able to afford it, which I know a lot of people aren't. And I have to say, I'm still a big fan of staycations and holidaying in Ireland, and I'll still be doing that all the time. But it was just for once to go somewhere so amazing was was really brilliant. And I hope if you're planning a big trip or a summer holiday, whether it's in Ireland or whether it's La Hinch or Las Palmas or Los Angeles, I hope you all have a wonderful time. I definitely feel that we deserve it. Now, as you will remember, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan last year caused consternation around the world with fears for the rights of people there, particularly women and girls. And indeed, it's been no surprise to see that the Taliban has accelerated that country's human rights crisis and humanitarian catastrophe. A recent report by Human Rights Watch said that since the Taliban took control of the country on August 15th, 2021, they have rolled back women's rights, advances and media freedoms. There were both pillars of the achievements of the post-2001 reconstruction effort. Many secondary schools for girls remained closed by the end of the year and women were largely prohibited from working in jobs outside of teaching and healthcare. And one depressing statistic for women is that since the Taliban takeover, 55% report income dropping to zero, 66% say there's often not enough to eat and 97% of women there say they experience restrictions on their freedoms. That's from the Women for Women International Report on Afghanistan. Now, in recent days, under a decree passed by the Taliban, for the first time in decades, Afghan women will have to wear the Islamic face veil. And the Taliban enforced that all-encompassing burqa during their first stint in power in the 1990s. But they hadn't enforced it in Afghan cities since taking over last year. But now they've done that. Um, many women in Afghanistan already do wear the burqa, but 
some, particularly in urban areas, only wore a simple covering of their hair. But now they're being forced into these head to toe burqas. And that decree was passed by the Taliban's Ministry for the Prevention of Vice and Promotion of Virtue. We wanted to talk about what's going on in Afghanistan. And in this episode, we're going to be hearing about the situation from Hasina Safi. She's an Afghan politician, human rights activist and former Minister of Women's Affairs in that country. Hasina was born in 1975 and her family fled Afghanistan in the 80s. As the years passed, she dedicated herself to campaigning for women's rights in Afghanistan. And when democracy returned to the country, so did Hasina and she continued her work with women's rights. Eventually, she was appointed to run the Ministry of Women's Affairs under the last Afghan government, only to be forced to escape again last August as the Taliban regained power. In this episode, she talks to Cathy Sheridan and she has really important insights about the Taliban's disgraceful treatment of Afghans, particularly women and girls. Since she left the country, she's been living with her family as a refugee in London and we are very, very grateful to have her on the podcast here is Hasina Safi with Cathy Sheridan. Hasina, good morning. Good morning, Cathy. And you're most welcome to the Women's Podcast. Um, I know you're speaking to us from England, uh, but you escaped from Afghanistan much against your will uh, last August. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what the before was like and what the after was like? Why did you decide to leave in the end? Thank you very much, Cathy, for the opportunity. And thank you for this podcast for the opportunity to share my story with you. What it was before uh, I left Afghanistan, the women were living a life, simple, luxurious, easy, difficult, happy, challenging, but they were living a life, going to school, uh, going to colleges, universities, uh, being a teacher, being an engineer, being a doctor, uh, a minister, a deputy minister, ambassador, judge, uh, a sportswoman. So you can imagine it was a normal life. I will not say it lacked challenges, but it was a life uh, which they enjoyed. And they were struggling to make it better and better. And how I uh, left Afghanistan was the very unexpected, disastrous, uncertain situation of uh, Taliban that uh, they came uh, on 15th of August. I uh, had a meeting with the first lady. And when I came off the meeting, like after around maybe 12 or 11.30, it was terrible outside the palace. Everyone was running around and they were saying Taliban are here. Like It was like a, a nightmare. Everyone was crying. There were gunfires. No one knew what happened. But people were saying Taliban are here. And they were crying and they were roaming around here and there. When I came out of the meeting, my security manager told me, Minister, Taliban are here. And I was like, shocked. What happened? How? And then he told me, where will we go? I said, we will go to the ministry because my staff are all waiting. He said, it's not secure. I said, no, I cannot leave them. So we went to the ministry. The ministry had been 
empty. It was evacuated. Like all the staff had left, uh, only my deputy minister and my HR manager were there. And when I came, they said, I said, where are the staff? They said everyone was like they were crying. The situation was terrible outside. We tried to stop them because of the security. But they said we are going. They were concerned because of the families. So they all left. I said, and then the deputy minister said, what should we do? I said, we will wait because now we are at the ministry. So we will wait and we will see if anyone comes, we will talk to them. Unfortunately, we waited till 1.30, but no one came, Kathy. And at this point, Hasina, you, you thought, I can talk to these people. I had to talk because I really wanted, we had heard so much that they have changed. <laughs> so we thought they have changed. And like everyone was saying they have changed, they have changed. So like I saw that my some of my security people were upset with me, but I said, no, if you want to go, you can go, but I will stay. But no one came. And then my security manager said that it's getting very, very risky. We have to evacuate. If you do not evacuate minister, we may use force. And then I said, okay. Then I told my deputy minister and the HR manager to leave. Those two people left. And then I was the last person to leave. I got a call from my husband. He said, don't come home. And I was like, what? Where should I go? So he said, wherever you want to go, don't come home. And then I said, okay. So I left and I went to an anonymous. I called the person and I said, I just need uh, to come to your house. I know that she did not like it, but she had no choice because she was a cousin. So, and a cousin whom I never went, but suddenly I called that I'm coming to her house. And suddenly when I saw that the situation was getting deteriorating day by day, and most of my friends also who were working in the security sector before, they advise that now threat is very close. So there will be a time that everyone will condemn that we lost the minister for women affairs, but we won't be able to do anything. And that was the time that I decided to evacuate. I sent a message to Britain and many of my friends coordinated. The British government sent me an email back for evacuation with the number and they told me to get to the airport, to the Baron Hotel, which was, I think, a base inside the airport. And I messaged back that I cannot go to the airport. I think they did not have the facility uh, or that was not a part of the evacuation. Yes, we all remember the terrible scenes around the airport, Hasina in August, and that must have been terribly frightening. When we went there, it was terrible, Cathy. It was terrible, terrible. There were fire guns, there were push-ups, there were just, it was a crowd of maybe 1,500, more than 1,500 people there. It was too crowded. They were lashing people, they were pushing people. Three of my family members got lashes. And when I saw that uh, my youngest also got a lash, me and my husband decided that 
we will leave here. It doesn't matter if we are killed. Whatever happens, we cannot. Because if we are, don't die with, with a very planned uh, attack, we will die at this place. So we decided to leave the gate, the barren gate uh, area before that. When we were coming back, my colleagues called me and they said, if you go back, it's even riskier because now everyone knew that you left. So my friend suggested there was a canal. I said, I cannot go there because I have my children and then my elderly, I have two elderly who lived with me in the same house. It will be difficult. So she told me, don't uh, be very logical. This is a very critical situation. You have to think about your security. And then I decided, planned, discussed with my husband, and we went. It was so difficult, Kathy, when we came down the ditch because there were wires they had put because of security. We were so much uh, frightened that we even did not feel that our legs were injured in the wires and they were bleeding. So one by one, we passed the ditch. There was a big crowd. So when we passed the ditch to the other side, then the soldier told us that you are safe now. So I told everyone, everyone was crying and I was crying. It's very difficult, Kathy. Your, your country is like your home. Imagine how does a sparrow, a bird make a nest. And then suddenly, you don't know how it's destroyed. We were crying because we were leaving, especially for me. I never imagined I would leave for the second time. That's why I was resisting. I did not want to leave. So then we came to, I don't know if it was Dubai or Qatar, and then after that, we came to UK. And now we are in UK. Very traumatic. I mean, mentioning the death threats even before all this happened. And it was your second time to leave Afghanistan. Yes. You're now 46. So you were there for the Soviet invasion? Yes. Where did you go after the, after the Soviet invasion? Uh, when I was five, uh, I evac- uh, we refused to Pakistan. Yes. So uh, my whole life was there as a refugee in Pakistan. Uh, I, my early education, my higher education, my work, uh, I got married there, uh, and then uh, in 2005, I came back to Afghanistan with a very high commitment, passion, dedication that I'm going to invest back in my country. In 1980s, it was a similar time because many of Afghans have left at that time to uh, US to UK and to different other countries. But because uh, my father loved his country and he always encouraged us to invest your human resources back in your country. So that is why we did not aim to leave Afghanistan, but 
Pakistan was the closest to Afghanistan. Yeah. So that is why we left uh, to Pakistan. This podcast is brought to you by ShapeModa.com. Log on today to find your perfect fit. You arrived back, Hasina, in 2005. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. Were, were now in charge. Uh, there were there were NGOs on the ground. There was a lot of activity going on. Yes. How did it look to you? Was it very exciting then? Actually, uh, when I came in 2005, definitely a very, very, it's like when a child is newly born and everything is beautiful. You just want to love the world. Like, and then there was a lot of opportunities for women. Uh, there was like in every sector, like you feel that you are somewhere. There is, you can live the way you want to live. Uh, it did not lack challenges, but uh, you, you could be a contributor there. So that is how I felt. And I was enjoying each day and each minute of my, my work and my life because I had been a refuge and I was thirsty for my soil, for my national anthem for my uh, ownership of my nation. I traveled to almost every province of my country. One of the reasons that today I'm not uh, totally uh, getting out of that because I saw almost every province. I went to the districts, I met women. I connected the work which we did in the policy level back to a family, to a district, to a province. So that is what, uh, when I came back, I did. Every day was a new day for me. Every day was a new plan for me. And Hasina, who employed you then? You were making a living, but who was paying you? Were you now working for the Afghan, the new Afghan government or what was happening? Uh, no, actually, uh, my working for women is my passion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like a blood circulation. I can never stop uh, working uh, for women. So I have worked all my life for women. I started working even when I was studying. When I was 15 years old, my first job was a librarian for Afghan refugee girls in International Rescue Committee. And then the same thing I followed uh, after that, I worked in Dakar. For women economic empowerment, I work with IOM, I work with UNDP, I work with different. But in 2005, when I came, I applied to a women organization as a capacity building manager because I really wanted to work for women and to really give back to women because I believe women have a special talent. But what is lacking is the opportunity. If we provide them the opportunity, they are the best contributors in home, in society, and in the world. So that is what I applied for that organization. It was a women organization as a capacity building manager. I started working there uh, with the organization development. And slowly and slowly, then I joined a network by the name of Afghan Women Network, 
which was one of the biggest networks uh, of Afghan women in Afghanistan. Then within that, I joined a United Nations Gender Equality Project. Uh, and then after that, I was an advisor to High Peace Council for Women Affairs. Uh, and then after that, I became the acting minister for women uh, for information and culture. And then I was appointed as uh, a women minister. I had been in a lot of uh, formal and informal track two talks with Taliban also in 2015 and 16. Yeah, I want to ask you about that, Hasina. That was a very important um, engagement with the Taliban then, or it should have been. What happened there? There, there seemed to be progress. You were all, you were all talking. Uh, what was your impression of those, those talks back then? Uh, in 2018, when I was one of the members of the negotiation team, mm. uh, I must say that I was proud uh, of uh, the space that the leadership was giving to women uh, because of their views and because of their ideas. But in 2018, there was not even one meeting where we sat and talked directly because they were not accepting since they were saying that it was a government-led uh, team. It was a government-structured team. And that is why then later on the second team was uh, announced. But before that, I had been in Oslo talks in 2050, which was for the first time there was a group of women we were around nine women who were in direct talks with Taliban. We uh, had almost a five-day, very intensive talk where there were women from parliament, government. I was representing uh, the civil society. And you were in the same room? In the same room. <laughs> Which we was were, pretty wonderful. <laughs> I will not say wonderful. <laughs> uh, well, unusual. <laughs> it was, yes. It was like challenging because... Yes. No one knew where to start from. And in the last, uh, the last, the fifth day, maybe, they accepted with us that women can be ministers and deputy ministers if they have the talent. But when we asked them that, give us that in written, they did not give. So that is why. Till the last minute, we were hesitant about the very clear guarantee that they never gave a guarantee. And that is why I also stayed back to really prove that they are saying they have changed. So where is the change? They closed our ministry. Why did they close our ministry? They stopped women, asking women to wear makeups. They stopped women from the TVs. They stopped music for women. They sent a directive of women that those women who are in, this, in the director position, they should leave their offices. And last but not least, education. Come on. What is going on there, Hasina? I mean, as, as, as we all know, and it's been widely publicised, they promised that the schools, secondary schools for girls, would reopen on March 21st. 
And just hours after the reopening, uh, they ordered that they be shut again. What was that about? I think this is a good question to ask them. Yes. There should be a platform to ask them. That is what we are saying. Which Islam is this? The reason that we are saying that they have not changed and there is no logic. Look at, for example, Emirates. Look at Turkey. Look at Indonesia. Look at Pakistan. Look at India. Look at Bangladesh. They are all Islamic countries. What is the definition of their Islam? Why are they not even letting women go to school? Muhammad's wife, who was Khadija, she was a businesswoman 1,400 years back. And today they are not letting us be a businesswoman. Aisha, who was the wife of Muhammad, she was, he, she was giving advice to Muhammad on social matters. Why are they not leaving women be in the society to be a very good contributor or citizen? Hasina, you were in the room with these people. We can't even begin to understand how these men's minds work. What was your impression? I thought at the beginning, as I said, that it was difficult because they were frustrated. They had their, uh, for example, frustration. And we had our frustration. So the first two days or one and a half days was like a bombardment of each other. And later on, you know, uh, I'm also a mediator. So when you, you never bring, do peace with someone who is your friend, you always do peace with someone who does not agree with you. So you have to begin with a starting point. So in the one and a half days, we accepted that we could talk. So it was a new beginning. We started talking. And we also decided, because we were a group of nine women, we said we will be with them the way we are. We didn't change our scarf. I was like this. Another person was wearing a red makeup to really show them that this is the, the, the real, the new Afghanistan. Your hair was showing as it is now. Yes, you're, yes. you're wearing a loosely wrapped scarf. Yes, yes, yes. Because and I was also wearing lipstick because they have to know that as women, we have our requirements. So that is why they were not even looking at us, but they were talking. They were looking like this, but they were talking. They were looking down, looking down at the table. Yes, yes. So that is why, but there was a space of talking. The process was not then continued the way it had to continue. So that is why it resulted, maybe in a negative way. Do you feel they ever wanted to reach a point of agreement with the women? Uh, If there was a continuous dialogue of understanding, of reasoning. But the thing is that even then, uh, the definitions differed because for them, social affairs was only education and health. But for me, social affairs is my independency as a human to walk alone on the road. This is social affair for me. So that is why it was very, very different. It needed to be very 
intensively discussed. About the result, I don't know. So, Hasina, have you insights into how they're thinking? Because it seems to me they never changed. They said they had changed. They had not changed, as you discovered. Um, so will they ever change? Would, is there any point in negotiating with those men? As a positive person, I'm <laughs> saying that there is, nothing is impossible. But if there is dignity, honesty, and dedication. So I will not say they will change. Everyone is so doubtful. What is, for example, is there a single uh, statement from them about women? No. Why is no one asking? Is there a vision within their structure? No. What does it mean? Does it mean that their families don't have any women? No, it's not true. They have women. Does it mean that they do not care for their mothers, daughters, and wives? It's not true. They do it. So why they don't do it for others? So that is why I can never talk on their behalf. But as an advocate, but as an activist, but as someone who has struggled as a woman for my own rights and position, starting from a position of librarian, coming to a minister's position, it's not an easy thing, Kathy. Even I'm not a businesswoman. I do not belong to a political party. I'm not a warlord. So it's the struggle. So that is why they have to understand the value of our struggle. The position of women within the society, indefinitely, our home is our first small society. That is what they do not understand. There should be talking with them. There should be dialogue with them. There should be with someone who is a decision maker. Hasina, who is going to talk to them? Who will they accept? I think presently so many governments are in contact with them. It's the responsibility of the international community to do, today to talk and to clearly find out what their vision is about women. Because Afghanistan is a nation in the globe, in the international community. We cannot be detached with the rest of the world. As a United Nations commitment, it is their responsibility to ask about the position of women within their structure. And of course, Hazina, it's now about much more than women. It's, it's about the whole country. I mean, two-thirds of Afghans don't have enough to eat. 55% report no income. And there are, the US sanctions are still in place. I think the international community would be very concerned about handing money over to the Taliban to rescue the people who need food and care. So is there a solution? Do you see a solution to this? Of course there is a solution. We have to prioritize, Cathy. Who's our priority? Our priority is people. Yes. Our priority is mothers. Our priority is women. As a result of 40 years of war, we have a big, a vast number of widows in a vast number of female-headed households. Who's thinking about this? 
why are we only thinking about the sanctions? We, as experts, we, as human rights champions, the international community, many of us, we have the solutions. We have to sit and find out and prioritize. At this time, is it important to safeguard a human right, a human life? Or is it important to help their structure? So, Hasina, who are the governments talking to? Are they talking to people like you? Are they talking to women at all? One of the positive aspects of the scattered evacuation is that the women who had been in different positions uh, in the last 20 years, they have scattered all around the world. But now I'm seeing that there is also uh, a lot of, uh, there is no order in talking to them. There is a no, not a proper planning. They are talking. For example, uh, I'm in Britain, I think uh, twice or three times in the last seven, eight months, along with other women, we have met FCDO. Uh, but we are in contact with women organizations. What is the FCDO, Hasina? It's the uh, uh, Home Office of UK. Right. So we have met and we have uh, shared our concerns with them. Uh, and they have been saying that uh, we are here to listen. Humanitarian aid is our first priority. But I think on the whole, because I'm also in contact with the many women in U.S. and in other countries, in Europe and everywhere, there needs to be a very organized and coordinated plan of priority from the international community to Afghan people into Afghanistan. So do you think they should try and bypass the Taliban government and go straight to organizations? Is that possible? At this time, I think it is because yeah. we have no choice, but we, our priority is people. So we have to help people. For that reason, because so many people are now starving, Kathy. This is very important. I said, it's a matter of priority now. How to prioritize who to put first and who to put second. So that is why we really have to find effective ways of efficient support to the people. So, Hasina, and I'll let you go very soon, but in the end, would the pragmatic thing to do be to recognise the Taliban as a government and to channel money through them for to save Afghan people's lives? No, not that easy. No. I think, no, we have to make sure we have to make sure for the safety. We have to sh make sure for the mobility. We have to make sure for the participation of Afghan citizens and then specifically women. How many people will the world be able to evacuate? Already, look at what is happening, especially with Ukraine also. So there should be a very wise, coordinated approach to tackle, because it's not only a matter of Afghanistan. It's a matter of the region. It's a matter of the world. 
I all the time say that nations are all a part of the world's body. If one part of your body has pain, definitely it will start. It will get into the toe and it will get into the brain. So it will get to the whole world. So it really needs a very wise, coordinated, and strategic approach to really help. Look at the disastrous incidents which have been happening in the last month. So many, we are, we are losing so many lives. Do they not matter to people? We are hearing, Hasina about families having to sell their children and selling body parts. Are you personally aware of some of this? Yes, I am. I am. I'm in constant talk with people. Two months back, one of the people I coordinated then with, with someone because they wanted to uh, sell one of their 16 or 15-month child. And then we tried to organize some support from here and there. And then I connected them with an orphanage and they are helping now. So that is true because it's poverty. And poverty can take you anywhere, Cathy. Hasina, my last question. You're living in Britain now. You have your three children with you who are, uh, what are they, 22, 16 and 14? How are they settling into British life? Uh, actually, uh, first of all, they lived a happy life in Afghanistan. They lived a normal life. There was like the suicides and these things, but otherwise they, they, they felt it was secure for them, apart from the other things. But the first thing when they came, the traumatic situation that we had been in, uh, especially the two teenagers, for them it's very difficult to accept. And then uh, with the, my son, it's getting better. But with my youngest daughter, she is not. She has been so much traumatic, especially after the school's closure. So she was saying that I'm going to go to and ask my principal and all my classmates to go to Afghanistan and fight so that my other classmates can go to school there. So it's very difficult. It's like uh, for them to uh, get into routine after that disastrous and traumatic situation, it will need time. Uh, but uh, on the whole, they are, they are trying to, to adjust. And my last question is, how are you, Hasina? Honest answer is that I'm alive, Kathy. I'm alive. Can you believe that I may sleep for four or five hours? I'm just trying to coordinate and see how I can help the women of my, my country, especially uh, those who need my help. Even if I respond their message, they feel hopeful. So that is what I will tell you that I'm also trying to, to adjust myself. It's very difficult, very, very difficult. I, even now that I'm saying, and I remember the time that I have passed and about my future, Sometimes I feel that maybe I want the world to stop. 
but I will not be that selfish. I will struggle because when you don't struggle in life, life does not mean. It's not only because of me, but it's because of my coming generation. It's because of the coming generation. It's because of the humanity. Because I believe in humanity and I really want the world, the people, to bring in real humanity to the world. We can live in peace. But if we think in peace, then I will stop, Kathy. Hasina Safi, it's a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much and good luck with everything. Thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you. That's all we have time for. Thanks very much to Hasina Safi and Kathy Sheridan. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast and by email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time.